0: Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that dabbles in the mystical world of cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have a bit more news on Nissan's launch of a new X-Trail. Peugeot's 302 passenger car launched in Australia. The federal government is running an inquiry into road resilience, particularly the need to be able to sustain a road network during situations such as floods. And finally, the UK is trialling a system to automatically detect and identify vehicles that make excessive noise. And in our feature section, our Evan Jones went to the launch of the Hyundai Santa Fe Hybrid. Stunningly quiet and good fuel efficiency. We give our driving impressions and more details about the new Nissan X-Trail. And finally, we also posed the question of what the car manufacturers would offer for the next Lunar Rover vehicle now that NASA is going back to the Moon. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au. And so to start this program, which was first broadcast on the 3rd of December 2022, first the news. It must be with immense relief that Nissan has launched the latest model of its medium-sized SUV, the X-Trail. Nissan has suffered badly from supply problems for a range of vehicles. The X-Trail has been their mainstay vehicle sale since it was first launched in 2001. The new fourth-generation model is built on a new platform and has a wide range of improvements in comfort and safety features. It has achieved a five-star ANCAP safety rating for all variants, including the base model. It is slightly shorter in length, but is more efficient in the use of space within the vehicle. The confidence and quietness in which it handles a range of conditions makes it a very good vehicle for both urban and rural situations. It gives a feeling of good road manners, modern design, and is well-constructed. It is priced before on road costs from $36,750 to nearly, to nearly $53,000. SUVs are popular, but Peugeot hasn't given up on passenger cars. They've just launched their new 308 small car with three variants across two body styles a hatch and a wagon. A fourth variant, powered by a plug in hybrid drivetrain, is due to arrive in the first half of 2023. The three current variations are a GT hatch, a GT premium hatch, and a GT premium wagon, all powered by a three-cylinder turbocharged 1.2-litre petrol engine, producing a modest 96 kilowatts and 230 newton-metres of torque, which drives through an eight-speed automatic transmission. Prices vary from $44,000 to $50,500, plus on-road costs. The 300-series Peugeot passenger cars have had a long and a very up-and-down history, including the numbers they were given. It all started in the early 1930s with the 301, a small family car. It stopped with the 302 in 1938 and was put on hold for three decades until the arrival of the 304 at the Paris Motor Show. One presumes they avoided 303 because of its association with guns. The 305 was launched in 1977, followed by the 309 in 1985, a vehicle seen as the brand's first true compact car. For reasons we don't understand, the 309 was replaced with the 306, followed by the 307 in 2001. Worldwide, it sold over 3.5 million units. The first-generation Peugeot 308 arrived in 2007. The House of Representatives Standing Committee on Regional Development, Infrastructure and Transport has launched an inquiry into the implications of severe weather events on the national, regional, rural and remote road network. Chair of the committee, Labor MP Luke Gosling, said, quote, the inquiry will look at road engineering and construction standards to strengthen road resilience against natural disasters, including the critical role of climate change trends and data to inform infrastructure standards. He went on to say the extreme flooding events and other natural disasters across the nation have impacted many Australians and the committee is seeking to understand how road planning and construction may be improved To enhance road climate resilience and support our communities. The committee is seeking written submissions, ideally of no more than ten pages, from organizations and individuals providing recommendations relating to any or all of the inquiry terms of reference. And the deadline is the twenty eighth of february two thousand twenty-three. The UK Department for Transport is set to trial noise-detecting technology at various locations over the next seven months to crack down on noisy vehicles. The units will work similarly to speed cameras. They will automatically detect illegal, excessive noisy vehicles, then use automated number plate recognition technology to identify vehicles. The CEO of the Motorcycle Industry Association, Tony Campbell, said, with growing pressure on the environment, including noise pollution, Illegal exhausts fitted by some riders attract unwanted attention to the motorcycle community and do nothing to promote the many benefits motorcycles can offer. Studies have found that exposure to noise can have significant physical and mental health implications, with heart attacks, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes and stress, all linked to long-term contact with loud environments. The annual social cost of urban road noise, including lost productivity from sleep disturbance and health costs, is estimated in the UK to be about £10 billion. Currently, enforcement is mainly reactive and relies on subjective judgment. And that has been the news. Hyundai has launched its first hybrid. Vehicle, although they have pioneered many uh, an electric, full electric vehicle, this is their first SUV that's an actual hybrid. And it is the Santa Fe, a rather large SUV. Our road tester, Evan Jones, went along to the launch and he joins us now. G'day, Evan. Good. Now, let's start generally the situation with Hyundai in terms of supply. They've struggled along with the rest of the market?
1: Their supply situation for Australia, or I think for the rest of the world, is not good. The demand's there. They claim that they would probably be number three in Australia if they could supply all the orders they've been receiving.
0: Then again, everyone else would have been doing better as well. Everyone's in that boat, if you pardon the pun.
1: I don't think a lot of people realise that a lot of the cars built by Hyundai are not in Korea. A lot of them are in Middle and slightly Eastern Europe, like the Czech Republic Mm. and Turkey. That part of the world right now is, um, well, people are looking over their shoulder all the time, put it that way.
0: How loyal do they think the market is? They believe that with a
1: good product, they can get reasonable loyalty. But currently, right now, they reckon... As a percentage, it's 33%. They also acknowledge that with the supply issue, that could decline because
0: you're not going to wait forever. You're going to go somewhere else. Loyalty can go only so far, and we're pushing that limit. They're focusing on pride of ownership and fun to drive. What sort of examples have they got in their range?
1: The N-Series, for sure. As you know, the N-Series that we've driven have been absolutely stunning cars to drive. But once they get someone into an N-series car who likes to drive, chances are they'll stick with it. Uh, they've got their hardcore ones, which are the sedans, the i30N and the, and the uh, i20N. Mm. And then, of course, you've got your SUVs, the N-series, or N-lines, they call them. Yeah, they're quite an impressive vehicle. The problem with the i20N is it suffered from being too popular in Australia to the point that the grief they were getting at their dealerships due to lack of supply that car has been withdrawn from sale. I understand that they don't want the grief people coming in saying, "Where's my bloody car?" And just as an anecdote, on the weekend I was working with a bloke who's also waiting for he and I. His car is about three months late, and a good mate of his just received his, so he's jumped the queue, so he's got happy.
0: That never looks good. The Santa Fe, a large SUV. When was it first introduced into our market?
1: It was first introduced in uh, two thousand. And since then, it's had three generations, three, and uh, the fourth one is on its way soon.
0: So this is the third generation that's getting a hybrid. That's the key issue, isn't it?
1: That's right. This is the big selling point of this generation, is as uh, a hybrid available in the two top of the line.
0: What's our preference in terms of things like four wheel drive, petrol versus diesel, and so on? In Australia, uh,
1: four wheel drive outstrips front wheel drive considerably. Diesel take up about, about a third of their market. Hmm. The hybrid, they believe, won't be
0: far behind that. Oh, really? That high? Uh, I think they also, and I think encouraging in terms of buying hybrid, which is going to cost you more, that people are tending to go for the higher spec grades, aren't they?
1: Correct, yeah. Yeah, we like our luxury in Australia. I think you'll find that with other companies, other car companies as well. But, yeah, we like the bells and whistles in this country. So if you're going to spend big money, You might as well get the best you can get.
0: Being a hybrid, it doesn't have a huge battery. Where do they put the battery?
1: Interestingly, and I don't understand this from a a packaging or or weight distribution point of view, under the driver. It's under the driver's seat. Now, the problem with that is, from a car balancing point of view, when you put the driver over the top of that seat, the weight very much... Is on one side rather than the other. Now, I I will say, and I didn't think to ask the question on the day, bearing in mind that... Korea is a left-hand drive country. Does it remain on the right-hand side? Which I suspect it might, and that's why it's there. Therefore, the left-hand drive cars would be better balanced.
0: It's got 165 kilowatts, and the maximum torque is 350. Now, the, the battery obviously helps that. They reckon they get 6 litres per 100, 7 airbags, but there is also... A six-seat option. I presume that's a bit like a captain's chairs. Did you see that model?
1: Apparently, if you sit in the middle row, it is like being the captain of the Starship Enterprise. They have very nice seats. It also makes it easy to get into the, into the rear two seats as well.
0: I think that's a fundamental point. And might I point out from my son's perspective, it's also easier to get a child out from the third row of seats when they've fallen asleep. Now, driving it, uh, how did you find the vehicle on the road? I
1: have to drive two models. I have to drive the the Highlander and the Elite. The Highlander is the top of the line, and the first thing that strikes you while you're driving that is the silence. Mm. As I call it, Rolls-Royce silence. You can't hear the engine. You can't hear the road. It is fantastic. You can't hear the road noise, tyres, anything. It is absolutely beautiful inside. If you go and listen to the radio, we just sit there in silence. Brilliant.
0: Now, you can only get the hybrid on the top two spec models, the Elite and the Highlander. Correct. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and their
1: hybrids don't come with the V6. So,
0: so it's got a smaller four cylinder engine?
1: Yeah, it's got turbo four. Yeah.
0: Getting six litres per hundred. Is an incredible figure from a petrol engine from such a large car. We didn't
1: try the Eco mode in the Highlander. We did try it in the Elite. As per our usual experience that we've had in the past with Eco mode, it feels like it won't pull the skin off a rice pudding when you're taking it from a, from a stop. In normal mode, it's more than adequate. It's a, it's a lovely feel to it. The thing about driving uh, the two cars is, particularly with their cruise control, in the Highlander, the cruise control is seamless, You really don't know when it kicks in and kicks out. It's so smooth. It's absolutely fantastic.
0: They have a six-speed gearbox rather than an eight-speed automatic.
1: Why is that? The official word is packaging challenges. So the electric motor must take up some of the space that that an eight-speed gearbox would otherwise take up. So without looking at them, I can only assume the physical size of an eight-speed box is bigger than a six-speed box.
0: The gearboxes that Hyundai, as a corporation that go into Kia as well, have been very, very good. Their six-speed was a very good gearbox and now into the eight-speed. So still using the six-speed with the advantage of a good hybrid system appears to be producing good results. Yep, that's the impression we got. So how did it handle the rough stuff? We drove the cars on a variety of
1: surfaces, on good bitumen, on good dirt, on horrendous bitumen that looked like, with all the holes from the floods, it looked like you have been uh, in Ukraine, unfortunately. Uh, people don't mind me using that analogy, but that's what it looked like. And probably ordinary dirt as well. And they handled it quite well. In fact, we were able to dodge most of the holes with the handling of the car, so that was impressive. And the ones that we didn't dodge, you could feel them, but I've driven cars that it's been a lot more intrusive in the past.
0: They talked about subscription services, that is when you have to keep paying for something, some technology that uh, I guess gets updated. Uh, Did they talk about that?
1: There was discussed. I'll say BMW themselves were named because they've made subscription services famous or infamous, dare I say. Hyundai's response was there is no plans for subscription services at this point.
0: They never say never, but they're certainly not going to rush to it. Yeah, 100. They never say never. Yeah. Net zero. Uh, they got a timetable for that.
1: The net zero. They got a timetable of 2045, with the elimination of the ICE by 2040.
0: So net zero would include manufacturing pollution. Yes. Yeah. The the
1: whole corporation by 2045, but the cars themselves, the elimination of the of the internal combustion engine at this stage, 2040, which is quite realistic and eminently achievable given what some of the other corporations are uh, trying to spruik right now.
0: Well, the trouble we have is that a lot of companies are saying they'll be 100% electrified by a certain date, but that doesn't mean full electric. It might mean hybrids or plug-in hybrids to be no ICEs is probably as important a figure, a date, as anything else. Overall, do you think it's a very good family car? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It
1: handles well. Both models are quiet. Highlander is silent. and I'm always going to say it is silent. But it's definitely being built for the young family. There's no question.
0: You said the Highlander was particularly quiet. Was the Elite still pretty good? Well, the Elite is more than acceptable. It's just not deathly
1: silent. Like the Highlander stands out by its silence. If the Highlander wasn't there and we drove the Elite, we would have said, oh, this is a nice quiet interior. This is great. But then you get into the Highland and you think, I've gone deaf. It's incredible.
0: Good to talk to you, Evan. I appreciate that and uh, a good review of what I think is a very important car, not only because it's just called a hybrid but it is actually achieving some pretty good fuel consumption for such a large vehicle. Evan, thanks very much for your time. No worries. Thank you. This is Overdrive across Australia. This coming week will mark the 50th anniversary of the launch of NASA's final Apollo mission, which took three astronauts to the moon and back in December 1972. They are, of course, the last people to walk on the Moon, but it is also the last time we drove on the Moon. 1972 was the time of the HQ Holden in Australia, and the car industry has moved on since then. Now, what would the modern car industry offer NASA for a new car for the Moon? Remembering, of course, that digital technology and other factors have led to a tendency of car manufacturers to give you more than you really want. So perhaps they would offer a vehicle for the moon with big screens to give you information you don't need, such as what is the weather in Texas. Just the other day we sat in a Tesla while it was parked, watching movies on streaming surfaces such as Netflix and Stan. Or perhaps they might offer a moon vehicle with cameras all over the vehicle to detect other cars in your blind spot or behind you when you are backing or our racing mechanical engineer Fred Brain suggested rain sensing windscreen wipers. Oh well, you better throw in a windscreen then. There's automatic dimming LED headlights if they are going to the dark side of the moon, and of course Alan, a frequent guest on the program, says of course you must have cup holders. Perhaps more helpful was Jack's suggestion that we convert pedestrian identification into large rock identification. If you have any ideas for such a vehicle why not send them in to feedback at drivenmedia.com.au or leave a message on 0280034295.
2: You're listening to Overdrive. Mazda has revealed its all-new CX-60. Mazda is moving even further upmarket with this new large hybrid SUV. The model showcases the future movement towards the EV range with a dedicated EV architecture and three powertrains, one full plug-in hybrid electric and two mild hybrids based on a 3.3 litre inline turbo six-cylinder petrol and diesel engine. The rear-wheel biased i-Active all-wheel drive system is also fitted to all versions of the Mazda CX-60. This is supported by the MI drive which helps the driver easily switch between five different driving modes. Overall, the CX-60 is slightly larger than the ever-popular CX-5, but with a design style more like the CX-30. There are three models, the Evoke, GT and Azami, each with a choice of three engines and some auction packs as well. Priced from $59,800 through to $87,250 plus the usual costs. Due for delivery in June 2023, Mazda is taking orders now. This is the Motoring Minute, I'm Rob Fraser.
0: You're listening to Overdrive. The launch of the new Nissan X-Trail is a strong indicator of how modern cars are focusing on safety and comfort features. All four X-Trail model variants have predictive forward collision warning, intelligent cruise control with traffic sign recognition, lane departure warning and prevention, rear cross traffic alert, rear auto emergency braking with pedestrian and cyclist calibration, Junction Assist, and Driver Attention Alert. You need to move up to the second model variant to get Nissan's Pro Pilot, which they described as a semi-autonomous system. It can adjust speed down to zero based on the car in front of you, and has Lane Keep Assist. All X-Trail models have a CVT gearbox, but it is more seamless in operation than earlier versions. The Lane Keep Assist worked well on high-quality, well-line-marked roads, but in less-than-perfect conditions it struggled to identify line markings. Nissan will be launching a hybrid model of the X-Trail early in 2023. Alan Zervis from GayCarBoys.com and I were at the launch, so I asked him about certain features such as the rear doors that are now made to open to 85 degrees, to aid access, let's don't quibble, David.
3: Let's say 90 degrees because it's as good as 90 degrees. And what it means is that you don't have to origami yourself into the back seat. You can really just step in, and the
0: back seats are actually quite spacious. It's got the same engine, but a little bit more horsepower and torque, and a CVT gearbox. Not our favourite, but has it got a bit better? No. <laughs> We didn't notice it to start with, but then again, we had a whole pile of other pressures on our mind. I just thought it felt a little bit more seamless than uh, some, but it's still a CVT.
3: One of the things that we asked, this was a two-car launch, so there was the x and Pathfinder, and Pathfinder, of course, has that delicious nine-speed torque converter automatic. And one of the questions I asked of the boss of Nissan was, why is it that? In the rest of their cars, why do they insist on putting CVTs in? And uh, afterwards, we had an informal discussion, and the point arose that chances are most people aren't going to notice the difference. It is an automatic anyway; it just doesn't have gears. Pricing—they've uh, got pricing. There's uh, it, it's slightly odd lineup. They've got ST, STL, TI, and TIL, and they're a mixture of. Two and four-wheel drive,
0: and five and seven seats. You can get seven seats. We didn't try that. I think you'd be squeezing pretty hard to get into a third row. Where we're what
3: the French call cool gentlemen of a certain age, and I think we can well do without that embarrassment. The top two models don't have seven seats anyway. It's only the the bottom two that have got it. But I think the big feature for this was that they have interesting stuff inside the car, which is certainly not a first for you and me, but it is definitely a first for Nissan. And I, I liked some of the stuff that they had in the car. I really liked the mirror, for example, the smart rear-view mirror.
0: Oh, this is a where you can flick a, a, a switch and go to a camera view in your rear-view interior mirror space. It's a, it's a vision that's not blocked by people's head in the back seat, but it's a camera out the back.
3: But one thing you and I did discover, not in this car, but in the Pathfinder, was that, of course, just like any other rear-view mirror, it's blocked out by whatever you're towing. <laughs> so it's still not good to you.
0: And uh, the extra will get a
3: hybrid? This hybrid's really interesting. It's a normal hybrid, so uh, Toyota, Honda, the other models. The hybrid system is actually kind of two systems in the one car, and the wheels can be driven by either the petrol or the uh, electric motor or both. This one is different where the petrol engine, all it does is charge a very, very small hybrid battery and the electric motors do all the driving. And all of the X-Trails coming into Australia will be all-wheel drive that
0: have this system. So it's e-force and e-power. It's a bit like a diesel electric a railway engine it means that an internal combustion engine has to be made in normal conditions to operate over a whole different range but in this way you can tune it to operate over a narrower range and be more efficient so they hope.
3: Uh, well I looked at
0: the fuel figures
3: for this and to be honest with you I didn't think that it was as fuel efficient as a normal hybrid.
0: Alan a key measure now as often been given, is the size of the infotainment and other screens inside the vehicle. How does the X-Trail compare? It's
3: incredibly good. I mean, apart from if we're not counting the screen in the rear view mirror, I think they said there's something like 34 inches worth of screen. It includes the heads-up display, the driver's display, and the central infotainment display. It's a 10.8 heads-up display and a 12.3 driver's instrument and a 12.3 centre screen for the infotainment, plus, of course, the wireless Android Auto.
0: It sounds a bit wanky to talk about it like that, although I do think it is important to talk about the size of the heads-up display so that you're not cramming in little information that makes it hard to see. Well, David, just one point is that you and I both
3: recently have driven a Tesla Model Y that has only a tablet in the middle of the car. And as big as that tablet is, it has neither a heads-up display nor a display in front of the driver of any kind. And regardless of what anyone says, that to me just the system doesn't work. It's better to have something on the windscreen where you're not taking your eyes off the road or at a pinch, a nice wide driver's display.
0: There's some aftermarket stuff to that you can bolt on, isn't there, to give something in front of the driver? There is for the Tesla. Yeah,
3: one of the readers sent in some pictures of their Model Three, and they'd put some aftermarket gear in it. Uh, to me, it looked like it was always there. Very much, it's a touchscreen. It very much resembles what is in the Ionic Five. That sort of nice, sort of uh, rectangular screen. It's got Apple CarPlay and Android Auto built in. But, of course, it's a touchscreen and it is behind the steering wheel. Behind the steering wheel. So I'm not quite sure how that works. But, of course, you do get to use voice control, so it's not a total waste.
0: But that's at least the possibility of having your speed in front of the driver. Absolutely. All right, Alan, lovely to talk to you. Thanks, mate, for your time. As always, David, a pleasure. And that's Alan Zervis from gaycarboys.com.au. And he's giving a reflection on a range of vehicles that we've driven
2: in the last week. You're listening to Overdrive. The revamped Ford Ranger has been a massive success, and for good reason. Last week we drove the popular Sport version that sits about midway through the range. It's also possibly the best balance between features and price. First up it comes with a choice between the 2.0-litre bi-turbo four-cylinder engine or the 3.0-litre V6 turbo diesel engines, both with a 10-speed automatic transmission. I drove the 2.0-litre version. The Ranger Sport comes only in the double cab pickup body style with some extra exterior bling, like LED front fog lamps, dark exterior highlights, two front mounted tow hooks, skid plate and 18-inch alloys with all-terrain tyres. Inside, it comes with a dark leather with sport logo seats, the driver's seat is 10-way adjustable, and other little additions are wireless phone charging and off-road screen. The 2.0-litre 4-cylinder engine is sporty enough with 150kW and 500Nm of torque. It will tow 3500 kilos. It's priced from around 63690 plus the usual costs.
0: And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Evan Jones, Alan Servis, Martin Longalo, Rob Fraser, Paul Just, and all those who offered suggestions for the content of this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.